Hello and welcome to Inside San Diego Magazine, our podcast about making the issue. And this this time we're talking about the October 2017 Top Docs issue. I'm Erin Meanly Glennie, editor of San Diego Magazine, and with me is my senior editor, Archana Ram. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Our producer, David Martin. What's going on? How are you? <laughs> and our very special guest, we have Dr. Sarah Mednick. She works actually at UC Irvine now, but she is in Kensington, and she does the commute. <laughs> and she's very. she's got a really cool story, and we're going to talk to her in just a little bit. Um, first, we want to talk about our issue highlights. We had an interesting, um, Troy Johnson is our food critic, and this month, I've, I've been editing him for like five years or something, and he has he always has, you know, some negative things to say, which he, sh- he probably should. Nothing is perfect, and he tried really hard <laughs> this time. He did Bistro du Marche, du Marche, du Marche, du Marche. Which is from the Tapenade people in La Jolla. And I don't know if anyone recalls that they closed down and they've reopened with this name. And it was such an amazing experience. He always goes twice to a restaurant and he usually tries like a Friday night and a Tuesday at lunch or something. And he just loved it. He couldn't, he really tried. He, was he like, like just couldn't find maybe anything. Maybe a different it. jazz singer uh, on playing. He's like, maybe it was a little <laughs> warm in the room. I don't know. Yeah. He just, he really, it was, it was good. So read that and go have some foie gras or something. That's, mm-hmm. I think, where I had my first, was it Tapanad? But, um, beautiful spot. Yeah. And our quarterly travel issue, um, we do, we do travel quarterly. So that appears in the October issue. Archana is editing that section and it's, we're blowing it up. Mm-hmm. And this is like our first big travel, um, Tell us what's in there. What we I just love travel to. so much, so I just want to pack every page with as much travel as I can. So there's a beautiful new Japanese-inspired property in Malibu by the same people who do Nobu restaurants. They do hotels elsewhere, but this is their first of their Japanese-in-style accommodations in Malibu. It's just very serene, very beautiful. And um, there's this awesome new company called Test Loop, and it's basically a sh- shared ride service with a Tesla. And so it was started by a 16-year-old kid, first of all. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. He's now 18, and the company's very successful, and they do these rides between Palm Springs and San Diego, LA to Vegas, like all these different rides. And they recently launched San Diego to LAX, which I think is so huge for people that want to make these big international long-haul flights. It's not very easy from San Diego. And I am actually trying it this Thursday. By the time this podcast airs, I can tell you all about it after. But this Thursday, I'm trying the ride from San Diego to LAX for my international flight. How much is it? It can start around like something like 20-ish, 30-ish dollars, go up to like 60 or something. It's really not that bad. It's not bad at all. There's Wi-Fi in the car, noise-reducing headphones, cold brew, water, healthy snacks. It's It's a Tesla, so it's very nice. And um, it basically picks you up from various points around town, and you just book it online. A regular Uber from San Diego mm-hmm. to LAX is $130. See, this, this company is just, I just love that this is here. And there, there's a bunch of other news nuggets about stuff happening travel-wise. There's all about 
there's there's a whole thing about getaways that give back. It's people call it volunteerism. So you can go on vacation and do something good while you're there. We have a huge feature on Mexico City. We have um, a three day itinerary example for Park City, so you can get your skiing in. And one of our staffers, Sana, who is from Sweden. Uh, went to visit her native Nordic country, and she gives all her recs. So all the best recs for things to do in Sweden, <laughs> straight from her. Next time you're there, yeah, take the test loop to LA. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you need a test loop up to UC Irvine. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, okay, next issue highlight. <laughs> It sounds like a downer. It sounds like a downer. <laughs> so uh, on the back page, we've been trying this new franchise called From the Archives because we have, I've said it before, but the San Diego Magazine is the oldest city regional magazine in the country. So our archives go back to 1948. And we just got them digitized like very recently. <laughs> so now they're searchable and we kind of look at, you know, things in the past. Um, this one was actually from February 1988. And we were talking about the AIDS epidemic. And boy, did I go down my rabbit hole. But I thought <laughs> it was really cool because, you know, we don't we had the room and the space and the time and the money back then to really dive into these deep investigative pieces more so than we do now and um it was just really interesting i mean the numbers you know we, there were two san diegans who were diagnosed in 1981 and then by the time this story came out um about 700 had it but and 400 had already died they and a couple of the people that are quoted in the story died that year you know months later and so I was tracking down like who we could still talk to. And um, there was a professor at UCSD, like an ethics medical professor. And there was just a lot going on in 1988 that people just didn't understand what it was. They weren't supporting it. They weren't helping. Um, and a lot of like, you know, how do we test for it? And questions on, you know, one person wanted to just quarantine, you know, require that everybody in the U.S. was tested and then quarantine everyone until there was a cure, which there will never be a cure. And um, just questions of paying for it. The average person who contract con got the disease made ten to 30000 a year, but the to be treated was about 50,000 a year. Now it's about 500,000. So it was just sort of this huge thing, like how do we tell people? And, you know, they, they talked about, you know, premarital testing before you get your marriage license. But back then, a lot of the people who had the disease weren't allowed to get married. So um, anyway, it just it brought up so many things, but we tr we just kind of tried to give you about four hundred words. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very very interesting, and if you want to read the full article, you can email me erinm at sdmag.com, and I will send you the nineteen eighty eight <laughs> story. But it was interesting. Okay, enough from me. And then so our one of our features is outdoor patio dining. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, hey, outdoor patios, let's do it. And we said, okay. And that was that's all the thought that went behind that. Mm -hmm. It just <laughs> seems like such a natural thing for us to write about. I don't know how often I even sit inside at a restaurant anymore. Totally. I mean, even when it's cold, quote unquote, there are heat lamps. I wear my jacket. It's just like, it's why I moved here, just for that kind of lifestyle. And 
Um, we have 47 outdoor patios. That ranges from rooftops to gardens to sidewalk seating to kid-friendly places, dog-friendly too. Um, ocean views, of course. There's everything from Jane's Gastropub to Crack Shack to Buena Forqueta and George's at the Cove. You know, a mix of the classics, the newbies. It's sort of one of those things you want to tear out and just start checking them off your list. Um, this one was a really, really fun one to write because it's just, mm-hmm. where do I love to eat? I know. You did a really good job. And <laughs> it was also nice to kind of be able to talk about, you know, we're always talking about what's new and what's next and some of those places close, but to talk about some of the oldie but goodies yeah. that deserve some love. And, you know, one thing about sidewalk seating, I love it. I love to just watch people, you know, walking back and forth. I lived in New York for seven years and we don't have a lot of it here. There right. is some sort of like permitting thing mm-hmm. that eased up, I believe, a couple years ago, but there's not enough of it. Yeah. Any personal favorites? Personal favorite uh, patios or rooftop decks? Mm, mainly definitely. Mm. Awesome. I mean, you gave me some <laughs> Del Mar area stuff that you love. Yeah, I mean, the top of Del Mar Plaza is just a really great view. I mean, and you can kind of just sit on those couches and have a glass of wine and you don't have to really, you can have a a party of like, you know, two people meet and then four girlfriends show up and they leave and that, you know, you can kind of just like settle in Mm -hmm. and um, I like it there. I love Alexander's Mm -hmm. and um, Old Venice. So pretty, so pretty, so pretty. Uh, I I love Cafe Madeline. If you look on the masthead at the front section of the magazine, we ask our staff a question every month. And we asked our staff, where's your favorite place to outdoor dine? So mine is Cafe Madeline. It's one of the first places I went to in San Diego. They do more than just coffee. There's croissants, there's crepes, there's paninis. And it just feels like France in the middle of South Park. I mean, those (laughs) bistro chairs and that. The scripty font on the front. I mean, and Uh it's just lovely owners. And I often go at 7 a.m. when the croissants are fresh out of the oven. Ugh. So good. But there are two, and I met someone at the wrong one once. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about the one in South Park um, near 30th Street. So pay attention. So pay attention. <laughs> anyway, so that is um, a really cool feature, and Archana did a good job with that. Okay, our next thing we like to always talk about, the cutting room floor, because not everything makes it in the issue, and sometimes it just kills us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get to hold it. And sometimes it's just beautiful photos, which we won't talk about now. But there was a story by Troy Johnson. He went up to Alaska and he did this really crazy luxury fishing trip. And he's not good at fishing, but the boat, the fish were like jumping into his boat. <laughs> and um, we, you know, so we do our quarterly travel section and the next one is January. But he went in August and he says it books a year in advance. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of in this like ugly place where it was like, when do we, it's really random to read about summer fishing in January. Yeah. These are like the, the stupid things that happen when you work in a magazine. Yes. It's like where, <laughs> where and when and who and what. But and eventually we just didn't have the space for it. Yeah. It's coming. But It'll it's be good. coming. It's a it's good story. It's really funny. It's very Troy. Just got to find a home for it, but it, it'll find it. So if you read about summertime in Alaska in January, just know that that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not that they're like balmy on the beach in Alaska yeah. either in the summertime, but it's tricky finding a place for stories sometimes. Yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, you want to talk about skiing in the winter, but people might book that six mm-hmm. months in advance. So that's, it's always hard 
anyway, that was what went into that. Um, and our biggest challenge, top docs. We do it every October. Mm-hmm. Pretty much makes sense to have a doctor on the cover. And but doctors are not models. And <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> and, you know, I get these people who wander into my office and go, you know, my dermatologist is so hot. <laughs> and it's like, well, thank you. I'll look him up. But and the funny thing is there's 756 doctors on this list and it's not enough <laughs> when you're casting. And you're like, control F, find this person and make sure they're on the list. Um, I think our best-selling doctor was Andy Baldwin from The Bachelor. From The Bachelor, but and he just looked I great. I wonder but why. I, you know, he was not. He actually was not on the list. Hmm. But our next one was Sherry Franklin, who was president of the Medical Society. People really liked her, but it's. I mean, it's just hard because they they're not relaxed. They're not, you know. So that's our challenge every year. But we did have a young. 36-year-old, should we reveal who's, who is on the cover? By I mean, the time people hear this, yeah. Looking at his yeah. Name It'll be Dr. in your Alan Shadaji. He's a family and sports medicine doctor at UC San Diego. Archana, you... Yeah, I talked to him. He has like the craziest, longest, most amazing resume. He um, always wanted to be a professional soccer player and it just never panned out, but he just wanted that connection to medicine and sports medicine. He is the doctor for the U.S. women's national soccer team. He plays on a U.S. physician's soccer team. You have to be like, you know, you have to compete to get a spot on that team. He's traveled to the World Cup and it's qualifying matches. He's gone to the Olympics. He was in the Olympics in Brazil last year. We actually tried to get him last year. Yeah. He was in Rio. <laughs> he was so busy being a doctor. It's so hard to call a doctor's office and they're like, you don't want to make an appointment? I'm like, no, is he hot? Yeah, like, we're he, calling for a very we, different we just reason. Just want his picture. <laughs> and uh, one time, one girl really blushed and she said, "Well, the nurses really like him." Yeah, <laughs> that's like that's what we want to hear. <laughs> but it's still hard getting to that doctor, especially yeah. one who travels the world with soccer teams. Yeah, he was so. he was a wonderful. We shot at UC San Diego with um, the collegiate soccer women's soccer team there. Who he works on all the athletes and all the students at UC San Diego as well. So that's the connection there and he has a really crazy resume of stuff there's a story about him in that feature so definitely check that out and he I guarantee he works out more than anybody out there yeah he would schedule his interviews around his workouts like oh I'm gonna go to orange theory oh I'm about to go to spinning I was so impressed it made me want to work out (laughs) yeah I'm like no one can say they're too busy to work out yeah so but the other thing with shooting him was we shot him in front of a gray background and that's what you'll see which is actually outside the Mm -hmm. because I was like let's go to the soccer field and there's a practice and there's gonna be soccer balls flying and I thought it'd be more active and act you know action-packed and I thought well I always like when when covers are shot outside, mm-hmm. rather just like a boring studio shot with like a purple background. I mean, if you look at it's just the difference between Cosmopolitan and Vogue, mm-hmm. you know. But this was like it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we wanted we wanted a couple options, but eventually you'll you'll see the covers in in front of a gray background that we had sort of what do you call it a gradient sort of like yeah. there's a halo around him or yeah. something. It's like a a glow yeah mm-hmm. anyway enjoy and then book your appointment mm-hmm. way in advance if he's in town <laughs> yes <laughs> anywho let's get to our special guest we have a lot of top docs edit in this section 
Um, some of it's more medical and and super specific HPV vaccines, and some of it is more a little more mainstream, which is my favorite kind of health edit. <laughs> and with us today, we are going to talk about naps. And I know the the writer who pitched it, Maya Croth, she left. She used to live in San Diego, and she left us. She used to write for us years ago. And went to Spain to write like a dissertation on siestas. And so she was really the, a great person to interview you, Sarah. And so, um, but tell us a little bit, like there were some cool stats in here that um, naps have been proven to make NASA astronauts 54% more alert. I always like that 54%. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no, it's not 53, it's not 56, I 54. I, yeah. How do they, tell us how you got into NAP research. Well, I was uh, doing a PhD at Harvard in a lab that was studying vision perception. And I went to uh, a lecture of a guy named Robert Stickgold, and it was an undergraduate lecture. And he was one of the first people who was really kind of putting sleep and memory together and saying, well, all of these kind of improvements that you feel when you go to bed, you know, you've had a long day, you wake up the next morning and you're actually better at what you were doing yesterday. There is facts there. there there's some science there that mm -hmm. we can actually uncover. And so he was creating the science right in front of us of, um, you know, how do you actually systematically test the effect of sleep on memory and performance? Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. And had a meeting with him and said, well, I study visual perception. Is there a way that we could do visual learning and sleep? And then, and he was then saying, yeah, you know, here's what I've been doing with studying nighttime sleep. And I thought, oh, well, everything he was showing was showing that you need to have about six to eight hours of nighttime sleep mm -hmm. to actually show the kind of levels of improvement that he was showing. And well, that's funny because my father was a great napper and he would nap and he would wake up after, you know, an hour and just feel like a new man and always just like, I feel great, yes, you know, and ready to take on the day and he was super successful. And so it didn't make any sense that an hour could make him feel so great when you need to have six to eight hours of nighttime sleep to actually show these kind of performance improvements. And then I proposed that we start studying napping instead of nighttime sleep. And then I built a little nap lab uh, at this place called William James Hall in Harvard. And um, next to all these different offices, I had undergrads go in there with a little dorm room bed and I had them sleeping and I <laughs> tell all my <laughs> colleagues to be quiet during the day, which was really obnoxious. But, um, <laughs> but then we just started getting these interesting results showing that actually um, across a bunch of different kind of cognitive tasks, we could show the same level of cognitive benefits from an hour and a half nap as a full night of sleep. Um, and it was really, you know, kind of interesting and very mediagenic, and then that kind of created a buzz around it, and we started just diving in and diving in, diving in. So you've written the books. I didn't. I don't know if I made this clear, but Sarah is like the foremost nap person in the U.S. That's what I'm calling you. <laughs> am am I far person. off? Yeah, yeah. No. The world, the universe. The I don't world. know if there's that I mean, many people like that yeah. could even. Yeah, not many people study this, but. Right. She wrote a book called Take a Nap, Change Your Life. Um, what was the motivation behind that or what were like the real takeaways from that? So, you know, it just was about when I started publishing these results in scientific journals, the media started contacting me like crazy and I realized, wow, people really have no idea A, about sleep and B, about naps and they're desperate for it. You know, it felt like that there was a buzz that was starting 
um, that was the similar kind of buzz that was around, you know, what should I eat to be healthy? How should, much should I exercise to be healthy? And all those kind of, you know, um, desire to control yourself and to improve yourself. And sleep is such an obvious tool to improve uh, your mind and your body. And it has effects on everything that we do. But the public didn't really know about it. Um, and so I boldly decided as a beginning postdoc, which is not really normal, to uh, write a book about my graduate research. And then as I was continuing to do it, I could actually kind of continue to improve the book. And so over about a year in my postdoc period, I kind of secretly wrote this book and then suddenly <laughs> it was published. That's cool. Yeah. Does it t does it have to be a 90 minute sleep cycle or could you just do 10 minutes? Yeah. So there's some research looking at duration of the nap and the length of how length of nap actually is going to affect you. And, and, and in, 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 important um, understanding or point of understanding is that sleep is different across how long you sleep. So if you sleep for, say, 30 minutes, you're going to get one kind of sleep. And then if you sleep longer, then you're going to get a different kind of sleep. And you sleep longer than that, you're going to get a different kind of sleep. So, And each of each of these kind of sleep stages, they're called, they help different kinds of cognitive performance. So the shorter naps, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you're going to get a lot of what's called stage two sleep. And in that, it's really good for alertness, really good for just basic kind of reset button kind of behavior. It's not going to necessarily help you with deep memory consolidation and really putting ideas together or creativity, um, but it's definitely going to help you better than a cup of coffee, right? It's going to sort of get you back on track and increase your alertness. So a lot of what um, that guy Mark Rose kind of with the, um, that 54% number, um, he was looking at kind of more alertness, vigilance kind of tasks and not necessarily really deep cognitive um, processing. But, you know, the longer you sleep, the more complex kinds of cognitive processes are going to be um, addressed during your sleep. But even 20 minutes is always going to be beneficial. And it's also, in a way, a little safer for people to start trying to do 20-minute naps first mm -hmm. because you don't get into slow-wave sleep and then you don't have that kind of deep, groggy feeling when you wake up. Mm -hmm. You also don't get worried that you're going to rob yourself of nighttime sleep. So 20 minutes is probably, you know, 20, 30 minutes is probably a good starter nap for people. We... Maya mentioned a bunch of famous people that nap or people in the past that napped Churchill and Salvador Dali and but if you're not some big leader with an office where you can close the door and use your couch um, are we just trying to work on awareness so that offices maybe start offering nap pods I know that it, I think it was Google that has some sort of room for napping but I mean in general unless you can go home it's really hard to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. I think that people find all sorts of ways to catch a few winks in the middle of the day. Like, you know, in, in California, it's easy. Everyone has a car, so you mm -hmm. can nap in your car. People nap at Starbucks on those comfy chairs. You can nap, <laughs> um, you know, at your desk. Some people, you know, find a way, if they can close the door, obviously. But there's even weird cases of somebody telling me that they would sit on the toilet in the public bathroom at their work and use the, the, the toilet roll. I would not do that. Yeah, the, the toilet roll, if it's full, it could be a nice pillow. So, you know, that there's people, you know, <laughs> if you think that? about 40 to 50% of people actually do nap on a regular basis, they must be doing it somehow, right? And they must be finding ways to 
work it into their schedule, even if it's not necessarily always at work. It could be right after work. Mm-hmm. Before I had kids, one of my favorite naps was right after um, my postdoc. I would go to uh, a yoga class, and I would get there like 20 minutes early, and I would park the car, put the seat back, and take a 20-minute nap right before yoga, and it would be the best yoga class oh. ever. So oh, refreshed. That's and so like Instead of having kind of dragging all your crap from the day, then you kind of let go of that, and you start a class, and you're super refreshed. I like that. <laughs> you know, I am eight months pregnant, so I'm taking naps on the weekends. All the time, But it yeah. made me think, just because you're not home, it doesn't mean you're suddenly... You don't need to nap during, but I mean, I'm sleeping a good hour and a half, like nice deep. That's good. <laughs> I can't do that. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, one Jim, thing I, don't listen. <laughs> weekends, weekends. <laughs> yeah. One thing I heard was to sort of boost the effects of coffee. If you have coffee, then take a nap and then wake up, you're supposed to like feel it more, and it, it you know, it takes a while, a little while for coffee to kick in. So it's not like you're not going to be able to. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, there's people who talk about that um, and it's supposed to be something that some people do I've never really heard of anyone successfully doing (laughs) it as a practice but I mean I could see exactly why it would work Um, the thing about caffeine though is then you're just kind of creating the vicious cycle of being then awakened from caffeine for the next six hours or 12 mm-hmm. hours or however long it affects you so if you take an afternoon nap and then you have some caffeine in the afternoon that's going to definitely decrease your nighttime sleep. So why not just stick to having a slightly longer nap or just whatever nap you can get in and see if that's good enough? Because mm-hmm. if you have a short nap, you're not going to have grogginess. Like you just you, you just go, don't get into the brain state that's going to put you into grogginess. Um, so a 20-minute, 10-minute nap, 15-minute nap is really within that range of no danger at all. And that's exactly the onset time for caffeine. So to me, it seems like uh, you're kind of, you know, giving yourself a piece of chocolate and punching yourself in the face at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And you had some interesting things about like, if you're creative, you should nap this amount of time. Like, how did you figure that out and how does that work? Well, the research um, procedure is such that you can actually, you know, test people in the morning and test them again on the evening on the same tasks. And you can look at their performance change, whether they became more creative or had better memory. Uh, better attention or any of those kind of things and then what you do is uh, you have a bunch of different groups that either have a nap of say an hour or you know and the nap of an hour is going to have what's called a lot of non-rapid eye movement sleep non-REM sleep but then if you compare that group to a nap uh, of 90 minutes uh, that group is going to have non-REM plus a half an hour of REM sleep so you really can then distinguish the naps that have REM sleep and naps that don't have REM sleep and look at the performance changes and what we found is that people um, when they were tested on creativity task in the morning and the afternoon, comparing the people who had non-REM sleep only versus the people who had non-REM sleep plus REM, they showed the people with REM showed a 40% increase in creativity. So you can then, it's, it's oh, kind of, yeah. you know, scientifically interesting. It's not just cool to study naps. It's actually really great to be able to understand the, the um, effect of each sleep stage by studying naps because you can... Um, specifically take out one sleep stage and add another one and you're not really bothering the subject. If you tried to do that at night, you'd have to wake them up every time they went into REM sleep and you'd get a very angry subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, and you don't, you were talking earlier about visual stuff. I mean, you don't get into dreams really, do you? Or No, I haven't really gotten into dreams. Okay. They're 
They are really an interesting, I mean, obviously they're super interesting, right? The most, most writers and philosophers and religions have used dreams as ways of either reaching God or interpreting you know, the future or any of those kind of things, uh, predicting the future. Um, but they're very hard to trace and track down scientifically. Mm -hmm. There is one group um, that's doing a really great job, this woman, Erin Wamsley, and she has a way of waking people up right when they get into a REM state and asking them to just tell what they've been experiencing in their dreams. And she has people, before and after they do that, they're tested on some tasks. And she tries to see, does any of their dream content relate to what they were trained on? Um, and then does that the amount of that dream content um, relate to how much learning they showed on that task. Hmm. Um, and sometimes she's actually shown these really interesting results where there is a direct correlation between what you dream about and how well you do on something. Um, but it's, it is hard to uh, figure out what dreams are about, yeah. I'll say. It's, it's, a, it's a really exciting and interesting but difficult question. Huh. Well, naps, everybody. You're, yeah, mm -hmm. you love a nap. I love a nap. I love naps. I just feel so refreshed. Mm -hmm. I mean, why? It's like you're fighting it and fighting it. It's like, why? Yeah. Just don't. Everybody, you're not lazy. Mm -hmm. Just take a nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there really is a stigma. A lot of people in my family just think, oh, I'm not lazy. I don't nap. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't nap during the day. It's like, yes, you can. You I really think can. A lot of that comes from the fact that there are some people who need to nap and some people who really don't need to nap. And the two shall never understand each other. <laughs> and a lot of the times, they're married. Yeah. A lot of married couples. The Montagues and Capula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually rubbed off on a PV. Yeah. <laughs> now they're better nap. Now they nap that didn't before. It's kind of weird to say that your nap rubbed off on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who was like four hours late. I was telling David to call me, and she goes, "Sorry, I got caught up napping." <laughs> I'm not mad at you about so that. So confident. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sarah. This is really interesting. I mean, I just love having anyone just say yes. It's okay. To nap. <laughs> Your life affirmation. A yes. Bit, yeah. So read her story on page 102 of the October issue, and read her book. Uh, take a nap and change your life I love it thank you um, thank you and so we'll just wrap up real quick with a couple of events happening in October um, if you're not aware October the entire month is kids free month for museums there's about 40 museums that offer that and it's for children ages 12 and under they get in for free so check that out I think you have to get a ticket somewhere it used to be Macy's but don't quote me <laughs> Go to that their sounds website. about right though. I think yeah. I've seen them there. There's a lot. There's like a lot of film festivals. Taste of Old Town. A lot of tastes this month. The Taste of Mission Hills. Taste of Coronado. So if you live anywhere, you're probably having a taste. Look for that. <laughs> um, Pacific Standard is this huge, um, an exhibit, but it's like 70 different institutions throughout Southern California and one of them that's participating is the San Diego Museum of Art um, their exhibit is Modern Masters from Latin America um, and that starts the 21st of October there's also this really intrigued me the San Diego Mac and Cheese Fest at Waterfront Park is on the 28th hmm. who doesn't want to go to that oh yeah <laughs> and then celebrate the craft that's a big deal the beer week is coming up at the end of the month but October 29th that's at the Lodge at Torrey Pines um, that's a that's a favorite 
mm-hmm. beer huge mm-hmm. David, I love you it can, you love it that's it and I think our readers voted it as like their favorite yep. it's a huge crowd favorite yeah so there's a lot to do this October not just dress up for Halloween there's a million other things so <laughs> check out our issue and check it out online and everything we talked about today will be on the website sdmag.com you can look for the podcast inside San Diego Magazine and we will enjoy the issue and we'll see you next uh, month. See you in November. Take care. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah.